For I've had enough of this world and its pleasures. I will arise and go forth to the house of my young. I will arise and go forth to the house of my father. I will arise and go forth to the house of my young. House of my young. Shalom, and welcome to today's teaching on the Hebraic roots of Christianity, where we study first century Christianity and the faith that Jesus, whose Hebrew name is Yeshua, which means salvation, taught his disciples. And now, Hebraic roots teacher Eddie Chumney of Hebraic Heritage Ministries International. Shalom. I'm Eddie Chumney of Hebraic Heritage Ministries, and we welcome you to today's teaching on the subject, Secrets of Biblical Hebrew. This is part nine of the series. So the Hittites, which comes from the Hebrew word hati, which comes from hate, which comes from hatat, the root meaning is discouragement, dismayed, or be afraid. The Girgashites represent focusing on things which are earthly and visible. Deuteronomy chapter 7 verse 1, it is written, When the Lord your God shall bring you into the land where you go to possess and cast out many nations before you, the Hittites and the Girgashites. Now, the Girgashites is the Strong's number 1622 in the Strong's Hebrew Dictionary, and it means dwelling on a clay soil. Clay soil represents the earth. Girgashites represent using our human natural logic and human reasoning. And this is how the spies who gave a bad report, how they viewed their situation through their own human eyes, logic, and reasoning, as found in Numbers chapter 13, verse 31 and 33. So this takes us back to Romans chapter 8, verse 7, where Paul says that the carnal mind is an enemy against God, and the carnal mind is not subject to the Torah of God, neither indeed can it be. So the carnal mind is regarded as being of the flesh, Romans chapter 8, verse 8, so that they that are in the flesh cannot please God. So rather than evaluating our situation based upon human logic and reasoning, which is associated with our flesh and our carnal mind, our five physical senses, and as was espoused by the spies that gave a bad report in Numbers chapter 13, verse 33, that we were in our own sight as grasshoppers. You see, there's a contrast here between evaluating something from your own human logic and reasoning as compared to the promises of God and the covenant that God has made with us. Because when Yeshua made covenant with Abraham, he promised that he would bring Abraham's seed into the promised land. 
And so, therefore, the success of the endeavor was based upon covenant. It was based upon the integrity of the word of the God of Israel to fulfill his oath. It was not based upon whether, humanly speaking, that in the natural, that the obstacles were greater than how you would reason them to be in your own ability. You see, the scripture says that we're to walk by faith and believing and trusting what God has said and what God has promised and not by our natural eyesight or reasoning. Second Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18. While we look not at the things which are seen, natural, but at the things which are not seen, the promises of God. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, it is written, for we walk by faith and not by sight. So we have the Hittites that represents discouragement or fear or terror in the Girgashites, which represents focusing on the earthly and natural logic and human reasoning. And next we're going to look at the Amorites, which represent boasting, pride, and those who oppose or speak against us. From the inner meaning of the Hebrew letters on page 211, an Amorite in Hebrew, a Mori. So we have the Hittites that represents discouragement or fear or terror in the Girgashites, which represents focusing on the earthly and natural logic and human reasoning. And next we're going to look at the Amorites, which represent boasting, pride, and those who oppose or speak against us. From the inner meaning of the Hebrew letters on page 211, an Amorite in Hebrew is a Mori. This is related to the root Amar, which means to say, and the hit pale form of this root means to boast or to be proud. So Amorites represents boasting and pride. And in Numbers chapter 13, verse 29, it says that the Amorites dwell in the mountains. In Proverbs chapter 16, verse 18, it says, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. So the Amorites, because we have the word Amar, which means to speak, the Amorites represent speaking against things of God. In 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 4 and verse 10, it is written, and there went out a champion out of the camp of the Philistines named Goliath. And the Philistine Goliath said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. So he was speaking in opposition or defiance to God. Next, we are going to look at the Canaanites, and they represent being subdued, oppressed, or made humble. From the inner meaning of the Hebrew letters on page 211, Canaanites in Hebrew is a cognate to the root kana, which means to oppress ourselves, to be depressed, or mournful. And Canaan means a merchant. Hosea chapter 12, verse 7, it says of Ephraim, he is a merchant. The Strong's number 3667 and the 
Hebrew word is Canaan. It means a merchant or a trader. And in Isaiah chapter 23, verse 8, Canaan is translated as trafficker. Who has taken this counsel against Tyre, whose merchants are princes, whose traffickers are the glory of the earth? Cana means to humble yourself. In Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, If my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and turn from their wicked ways. And so the word humble is the Strong's number 3665. It's the Hebrew word Cana. It means to be humble, to be subdued, to be brought down below to be brought into subjection. Second Chronicles chapter 12 verse 6, whereupon the princes of Israel and the king humbled themselves. So the word humbled is the Hebrew word kana. So kana means to be subdued, to be brought into subjection. And Judges chapter 4 verse 23, so God subdued on that day Jabin the king of Canaan before the children of Israel. First Samuel chapter 7, verse 13. So the Philistines were subdued. It means to be brought low. It also can mean to be defeated or overtaken. So spiritually, defeating Canaan means that you need to be brought low. You must humble yourself before the God of Israel to defeat the subjection and oppression of the enemy and refrain from making earthly treasures your life goal. Next, we're going to look at the parasites. They represent a lack of self-control. They represent unwalled villages. Deuteronomy chapter 3, verse 5, it is written, All these cities were fenced with high walls, gates, and bars, besides unwalled towns. Unwalled is the Strong's number 6521, and it's the Hebrew word parazi, and it means somebody that is unwalled. It means an open region. So parasites represent a lack of self-control. Proverbs chapter 25 verse 28, he that has no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls. Galatians chapter 5 verse 19, now the works of the flesh are manifest and it says lasciviousness, which means a lack of self-control. A Hivite means a small town or village. And so we're going to look at the spiritual meaning of this. So Havi is the Strong's number 2340 in the Strong's Hebrew Dictionary. And it comes from the Strong's number 2333. And that is Hava, which is associated with a living place, a village, a town, a tent. So a Hivite can be understood as a villager. And somebody that lives in a village lives in a small town. And it's thinking small and constraining your thoughts and your expectations regarding what the God of Israel is able to do in your life. And so spiritually, Hivites also is associating with seeking a comfortable life. In Mark chapter 4 verse 19, Yeshua taught that the cares of this world choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. So spiritual Hivites, because they think 
small and they don't have the view, they lose vision for the things of God by seeking earthly comfort. And next we're going to look at the Jebusites and they represent those who mistreat us, persecute us, and treat us with contempt. So the word Jebusite in Hebrew is related to the Hebrew word booze, meaning to tread underfoot, to trample, crush, despise, loathe, or detest. And this understanding comes from the inner meaning of the Hebrew letters on page 211. The Jebusites inhabited Jerusalem. And ultimately, the goal of our spiritual journey out of Egypt is to go into the promised land to defeat our enemies in the promised land and to go to Jerusalem. But in order to conquer Jerusalem, you have to overcome the Jebusites. And so we're told in First Chronicles chapter 11, verse 4, And David and all Israel went to Jerusalem, which is Jebus, where the Jebusites, the Strong's number 2983, were inhabitants of the land. So the Strong's number 2983 in the Strong's Hebrew Dictionary is Yabuzi, which comes from 2982, and Yabuz means a threshing place, which comes from booz, a primitive root, which means to tread down, reject, to desecrate. So Jebusites spiritually represent those who put down, reject, revile, persecute you. Isaiah chapter 53 verse 3 regarding Yeshua. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. We hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. In Matthew chapter 5 verse 11 it is written, Blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of of evil against you falsely for my sake. And so we have gone through the seven giants that were in the land of Canaan that the children of Israel, when they went into the land of Canaan to inherit the promised land from the covenants that was made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that by looking at their names and breaking it down in the Hebrew, it will communicate to us a spiritual understanding of what are our giants in the spiritual world as we seek to do the will of the God of Israel in our lives. So next, we're going to understand from the Hebrew that the number seven represents completion. From the book, In His Own Words, by Grant Luton, on page 83, he explains the Hebrew word for seven is Shavah. When this same word is pronounced Sava, it means to be full or satisfied. And so the number seven in the Bible represents completion. And the Bible has various biblical cycles of seven or completion. For example, we have a week of days. Six days of work is followed by a Sabbath day of rest. 
we have a week of weeks. The day of Pentecost, or Shavuot, always falls 49 days after the day of first fruits from Leviticus chapter 23, verses 15 to 21. We have a week of months. The seven feast days all fall within a period of seven months. And Passover is the first month, and we have the Feast of Tabernacles is the seventh month. We have a week of years. The Bible tells us in Leviticus chapter 25, verses 1 through 5, we have six years of sowing and reaping that are followed by a year of Sabbath rest, wherein the ground lies fallow. We have a week of weeks. We have seven times seven, 49 years, followed by the year of Jubilee. We have a week of years where all debts are canceled and all slaves are set free. Leviticus chapter 25, verse 8. And finally, we have a week of millenniums. 6,000 years of human history is followed by a thousand years of peace on earth wherein Messiah Yeshua will rule from his throne in Jerusalem. Now we're going to see that the God of Israel teaches us according to biblical blueprint or biblical pattern. For example, the tabernacle that was built in the wilderness by the children of Israel is a blueprint or it's patterned after the heavenly tabernacle. Exodus chapter 25 verses 8 and 9, and let them make me a mikdash, a sanctuary that I may shikan dwell among them according to all that I show you after the pattern, the blueprint of the tabernacle and the pattern of all the instruments thereof, even so shall you make it. So this is explained in Hebrews chapter 8 verse 5 that the tabernacle in the wilderness is a blueprint of the heavenly tabernacle. It says, which serve unto the example and a shadow or a blueprint of heavenly things as Moses was admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle. For see, says he, that you make all things according to the pattern shown to you in the mount. So the tabernacle in the wilderness was built after the pattern or the blueprint. And we're told in 1 Chronicles chapter 28, verse 11, that Solomon's temple was built according to the divine pattern, as it is written. Then David gave Solomon, his son, the pattern of the porch and the houses and the treasuries and the upper chambers and the inner parlors in the place of the mercy seat. The temple contains a divine pattern. Regarding Ezekiel's temple, the temple of the Messianic era, Ezekiel chapter 43, verse 10 and verse 12. Son of man, show the house to the house of Israel and let them measure the pattern. Show the house to the house according to the pattern. Then it says in Ezekiel 43, verse 12, this is the Torah or the instruction of the house is to show the house to the house according to the pattern. So the Torah is taught in parables. Psalm chapter 78, verses 1 and 2. Give ear, O my people, to my Torah. So the subject is the Torah. And regarding the Torah, it goes on to say, I will open my mouth in a parable. So the Torah itself is given or taught in parables. Next, we're going to see a example of a, the teaching of the Bible through what's called Midrash and help us see this connection 
regarding this insight of the Hebrew language in the Hebrew scriptures, we begin by looking at Exodus chapter 21, verse 2 and verses 5 and 6, where it is written, If you buy a Hebrew servant six years, he shall serve, and on the seventh he will go out free for nothing. And if the servant shall plainly say, I love my master, my wife, and my children, I will not go out free. Then his master shall bring him to the door or under the doorpost, and his master shall bore his ear through with an awl, and he shall serve him forever. And so a Hebrew bond servant that loves his master, that of his own free will, he serves his master. This is to be shown or represented by his master is going to bore the bond servant's ear through with an awl, and it's going to indicate that the bond servant is going to serve his master freely, willingly, forever. Now, in Psalm chapter 40, verses 6 and 7, it is written, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire. My ears you have pierced. So it's the ears of a bondservant who loves his master who has his ears pierced. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. And then said I, lo, I come in the volume of the book, it is written of me. And now for a deeper understanding of an example of biblical midrash and teaching the scripture, this is going to come from the book by Grant Luton in his own words on page 215. And so he explains the following. Man's desire to follow God forever by offering his ear to God to be pierced is a reference to Exodus chapter 21. In the book of Hebrews, we discover that the same psalm, Psalm 40, is also a picture of Messiah, where it says, When Messiah came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. With burnt offering and sin offerings you were not pleased. Then said I, Here I come in the volume of the scroll, I have come to do your will, O God. So this is taken from Hebrews in chapter 10 and verses 5 through 7. Though the writer is obviously quoting from the Psalms that with a Greek mind, it would appear that the writer is making a mistake in the text and in the quotation. Notice that the phrase in Psalm 40, but my ears have you pierced, which is Psalm chapter 40, verse 6, has been replaced in Hebrews in chapter 10 and verse 5 with a body you have prepared for me. How can we reconcile this quote with the passage in Psalm 40? Well, it is a common technique employed by Jewish teachers that a Torah teacher would quote a familiar passage while inserting or substituting words. 
This was not done to mislead the students since Hebrew students were thoroughly familiar with their Bibles, especially the Torah and the Psalms, and would never be fooled by such a gross misquotation as the one under consideration. The purposeful misquoting was a simple and quick method of revealing a deeper meaning called a midrash. It was to give the understanding of the text at a deeper spiritual level. So Grant Luton is explaining this in the book in his own words on pages 215 and 16. He continues, This is why the phrase, my ears you have pierced, is changed to a body you prepared for me. Through the centuries, every time a servant offered his ear to be nailed to the doorpost of his master's house, he was keeping alive a picture of the Messiah who would someday come to offer his body to be nailed to a cross or nailed to the tree. Well, that's going to conclude part nine of the series on the subject, Secrets of Biblical Hebrew. Shalom in Yeshua the Messiah. Amen. Thank you, Eddie. This is Stephen Morgan, and all of us here at Hebraic Heritage Ministries pray that you have enjoyed today's teaching. If you've been blessed, will you help us to share this message with others? Hebraic Heritage Ministries is supported by your generous financial gifts. In order to help you in your studies and to help us share this message with others, we are offering today the DVD, Yeshua the Lawgiver, for free for a love gift of any amount to the ministry. Hebraic Heritage Ministries also offers a monthly discipleship program. If you are interested in starting a fellowship group in your area, let us know. We would like to help you. Please contact us for more details. Our website is hebroots.org. That's H-E-B-R-O-O-T-S dot O-R-G. We would like to hear from you. Please send us an email. Finally, in order to take advantage of today's free offer, please mention this product offer and... Please mail your love gift to Hebraic Heritage Ministries, P.O. Box 81, Strasburg, that's S-T-R-A-S-B-U-R-G, Ohio, 44680. Until next time, may Yeshua richly bless you.